Kiora. Welcome to Baptist People. My name's Charles Hewlett. And I'm Catherine Heslop. In our roles as National Leader and Executive Advisor within the Baptist Churches of New Zealand, we daily have the privilege of bumping into interesting people. These podcasts give us the opportunity to introduce them to you and to let them shape us as we endeavour to bring gospel renewal to people and places. In conversation, we explore something of their story. Why do we find them so interesting? What are they giving their lives to? Where does the motivation come from? We reflect together on both the highs and lows of their journey. Thanks heaps for taking the time to listen in today. Charles and I talk to the rock star and legend in our movement, Marilyn Withers. Marilyn has served the youth and the Baptist movement for over 40 years. She's really given her life to this work. In this podcast, we talk with Marilyn about her love for young people, stories that have brought her joy, what concerns her the most, and her hopes for the future of Baptist Youth Ministries. Well, Mir, I'm keen to start by asking you, I guess, where where did your love for young people come from? Um, I guess I've always I guess I've always loved young people I love their vibrancy their enthusiasm their potential but to be honest um, as I thought about this question because I had a couple of days advance warning I just really think it's a gift of God I just it's something that I've always had I'm still passionate about it at 71 I still help volunteer lead in my local youth group every week Um, so I think this is something that's God given although I would have to say, I wonder if my mother had a hand in it. When I was 15, I was a very stroppy, hot-headed teenager. And um, one day I had a row with my mother, you know. I I shouldn't say we had a row, but really it was me screaming and not her. And I remember saying, I'm never going to talk to you ever again. Walked out, slammed the door, went off to school. Came back, I'd forgotten all about it by lunchtime. And and I said to mum, hi mum. And she goes, probably fairly rightfully, I thought you were never going to talk to me ever again. Now, my other sisters would have apologised, but not me, hot-headed, never backed down. So I said, and so I'm not. And I marched out and I slammed the door for the second time. And as I walked down the drive, I remember my mother calling out after me, darling, I just hope when you grow up that you've got kids to deal with who are as difficult as you. (laughs) So I think she will be into a lifetime of loving and caring for young people. But yeah, the, the, the serious answer is that I think it's a gift of God and I've still got it and I hope to keep doing youth work in whatever capacity as long as I can. Yeah, yeah. Because probably a, a, a silly question, but, but young people are worth giving your life to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think what inspires me about youth work is not only the potential to, you know, touch their lives in the present with belonging and community and acceptance, all those things. Yeah, yeah. But also you've got the chance not just to touch their present, but their future. And you can have input into their marriages in terms of teaching them how to love themselves, love others. Um, you can even influence their parenting. I mean, I know kids that I've worked with over 43 years who found healing from you know, family hurts, etc., and they went on to become good parents because they learned it in a youth group and they had role models as opposed to going on and repeating the cycle. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I was a teacher before I went into youth ministry and have always loved the potential of touching young people. Mm. Yeah. 
I better say that appropriately in the right yeah. way. You've got to be very careful. <laughs> Punching in the right way. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, what's the most important thing to understand about a young person? Yeah, I mean, I think... I think a lot of things have changed that we're dealing with new things, but the basics haven't. You know, the need for acceptance, belonging, security, um, a sense of community, somewhere to hang your hat, um, to know that your life matters, to know that you're important, to develop their potential. So I don't think those things have changed from when I was 19 and a volunteer youth leader to now I'm 71 and a volunteer youth leader. I mean, there are new challenges like technology, screens, um, anxiety is a big thing we're facing now. Um, I really, in the early days, ever heard about kids wanting to take their own life. Um, I hear it, unfortunately, more than I want to nowadays. So there are new things that make a difference, family breakdown, all those things. Mm. But I think the basic needs are still the same. And, I, and I, I believe with all my heart that we can make a difference. I yeah. really do. Awesome. So does a young person come to your mind whose story has brought you great joy? Well, you know what? When I got this question, I thought about it. And I can think of many kids over many years who found healing and hope and Jesus um, and a lot of things. But two stories came to mind. And so I asked permission to tell two stories. Can I do that? Yes. And I've got, their, um, I've got their names. They're happy for me to drop their names in but um, many years ago at Extend uh, someone came to me and said who's the stroppy Asian kid over there and I'm thinking oh what stroppy Asian kid <laughs> so I looked across and I found out later his name was Wilson Chan <laughs> but anyway um, I made it my mission to get to know him and why he was there and clearly he didn't really want to be there himself but Sam Kilpatrick his youth pastor had I think, condiment to going. And mm. anyway, I'm thinking he's going to hate a week of discipling and getting to know Jesus better. But, I mean, during the week, there was a couple of delightful Māori boys who became his mates and they followed him everywhere and they were praying over him and praying for him. Um, and during that week, he gave his life to the Lord. So that's mm. a great story. Yeah. But where the point comes in is years later, I was listening to Wilson tell the story of how he became a Christian at some event or other, I can't remember. And he said, I went to this camp I didn't want to go to. Mm -hmm. um, but he said, I said to God, if you're real, give me a friend. And I was sitting there thinking, oh, cool. You know, there's good mates Wilson made during that week. This, mm -hmm. So I was sitting there confident he was going to tell a happy story. Um, and then he went on to say this, he goes, but God didn't give me a friend that week. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting there thinking, Wilson, how can you say that? I was there. I saw yeah, it. Yeah. And then he went on to say these words. He said, God didn't give me a friend that week. God gave me a family. Wow. Mm. And I've never forgotten it. And, yeah. you know, and I think it, it, it shows us the point that, you know, at the time we might not even see what we're doing. We may see surface results, but often the long-term story tells the truth and the importance of family, the importance of belonging. And now he's a ordained Anglican pastor, you know. And yeah. um, so that's one story that comes to mind. Yeah. The other is about um, Caleb Holdor, who is now in mission at mm. Kerry. Yes. Um, and he rang me at 10 to 1. I said, if you don't ring me by 1 o'clock to give me permission, I'll be ringing to ask you forgiveness after, <laughs> after 1 o'clock. But anyway, um, 
I was talking to him a few years ago, he was doing a workshop for us, again at Extend, and he wanted to call it Brown and Proud. I said, oh, I'm, I said, should we call it that? It might sound like we're not thinking as, yeah, should we be proud of being brown? He goes, no, no, that's the topic I want. And he goes, let me tell you where it happened. He goes, as a kid, um, when I used to play video games, that was my moniker, brown and proud. But he said, I never believed it. I never felt proud of who I was. I never felt that I had a lot to contribute. I never felt that I could really lead. And I, I felt, oh my goodness. And I said to him, well, I hope I never made you feel that way. And he goes, no, it was just the opposite. He said, at Extend, for the first time in my life, he said, I saw brown leaders on stage. I had a Samoan small group leader. I saw Matt Renata and I saw mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, Luke Carr Morgan. Sorry, Luke, just forgot your name temporarily. <laughs> and he said, I saw them on stage and it wasn't just the leaders. He said, I led worship at 15, 16 with Jordan Carr Morgan. So he said, my peers were brown and he said for the first time I began to believe that I had something to contribute mm -hmm. and so I didn't know that for years after the event but again that story taught me um, the power of raising potential in young people and believing them and saying you can do it and giving them opportunity so they were two stories that so, came to mind yeah mm. yeah what do you what do you think makes a good leader in 2020 that's a good question um look i think all the things i've always thought love for god and love for young people if you don't love kids get out of youth work you know mm -hmm. you're you're not giving your best and they're not getting the best from you there'll be something else you're passionate about so loving jesus loving young people mm -hmm. um next thing i'd want to say is it's faithfulness i mean you know someone said to me what do you look for in a leader and i said i don't want a meteor that's going to blaze across the sky and look great for a short period of time and then just burn out. You know, it may be there are a star that just twinkles and they're not the biggest, brightest star that's up front, but they're faithful and they care and they hang there for the long haul. Um, someone who's a servant heart, look, let's face it, you often pay for things because they can't afford to. You're driving them all over the show. Um, there are costs and there are... Um, and you've got to have a servant heart and be willing to go the second mile, the third mile, the fourth mile. Um, I think something else I look for, and this might be a learning point for some of them, but it's knowing yourself. It's knowing and accepting how you're wired, how you're gifted, not thinking I've got to be like this to be a good youth leader or I've got to be the great up funny front musical trendy youth leader it's knowing who you are it's knowing what you bring it's celebrating how god has wired you and being able to um yeah use that for the kingdom so yeah there's there's a few things i yeah. think i would say what i look for in a leader yeah whenever whenever i talk about you with people it's, it's not very long before dawn uh, your <laughs> sister, comes into yeah. the conversation yeah bless her why, yeah why do people why do people love her so much I mean, there's all the obvious things. She was funny. She was vibrant. She was passionate. She was committed. Yep. She was creative. But the real reason, um, I think, is just that she loved people. She deeply, sincerely loved people. And in her case, this was mostly young people. And they knew it. Even the, just even the least of these, she loved with all her heart and with all her passion. Even right 
after her very last day on life when I saw her give a hug, like um, the, the, the couple of weeks before she died, she preached a last sermon at Karori and she's in a wheelchair and she's on a breathing yeah. machine. She preached the sermon and there were a lot of young people there, a lot of people actually, but a lot of young people who wanted, I guess, to say goodbye. And, and you know, she sat in her wheelchair in the middle of the church and from about half past eight to midnight, she talked, she gave words of encouragement, she oh. prayed, she put her arm around them, she loved them. And at midnight when we were alone in the church together, um, you know, we said, right, we've seen everybody, you know, and so I wheeled her out and we got through the front door, which is a bit of a mission with the narrow doors at the Karori, and she said, quick, get me out, I'm going to throw up. So oh. I'm just pushing her through the door and she chucked up everywhere in the garden. Yeah. And then she looked up at me and she goes, well, that was good timing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I mean, it would have been easy to have sort of hit the way, but she took every opportunity right to the end to say, I love you and I care. And she always believed that was her purpose of life, um, to love people. And so at, at her funeral, we had hearts you know we gave them out to people to say you may want to put it on the coffin to say goodbye you may want to take one home and just mm -hmm. the other day I caught up with someone who's 45 who was in her youth group when she was 15 to 18 really troubled background mm -hmm. and she opened a wallet to get something and there was a heart that mm -hmm. she'd had in her wallet for the last 10 years Amazing. you know so yeah I, I think that sums up Dawny, really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I miss her, and you quick misses her, but she made the most of all the time she had while she was. Here. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how often her name still comes up. And, and yeah, that's nice. Conversation. Yeah. 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 Well, it's growing a legacy. And I mean, I like to feel that when I'm up in heaven looking over the balcony, seeing what's going on in Newtwork, that you'll see the way things go on and how yeah. people touch my life and you touch other lives, and it goes on. And that's exciting. Yeah. yeah. So talking about being up in heaven and looking over the balcony, what, yep. what concerns you most um, for youth, you know, into the future? Oh, are you going to ask me my funny story about me and Dawn? <laughs> yes, we <laughs> are. You missed a question out. <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm, I'm letting on that I know the questions. Okay, which one do we want to go with? Please do, funny no, story. Go, funny story. Okay, well, look, there's many funny stories. I mean, a lot of them to do with travel and okay. things like being held up at gunpoint in Peru. And that's only funny because I'm still here to tell yeah, the story. Yeah, yeah. It would be funny if we got shot. But no, one came to mind, and I've asked my friend Andy Bank, who's youth pastor yeah. at Lower Heart, if I could tell the story. And you know how you're doing something? Charles, you must know this, and you think, am I making any difference? Truly, is anything I'm doing working? You know, and you tear your hair out at times that I was at this camp running it um, back in the 90s, yeah, mid-90s, and there was a few kids there that I'd been praying for and was hoping for a breakthrough. And then suddenly, to my amazement, one, one night during worship, here they are, hands raised, and I thought, oh, there is a God. How wonderful. You know, look, these kids are responding. It wasn't probably an hour and a half later, maybe getting close to midnight, when... We're trying to get them down, get the get everything quiet. Yeah. And there was this uproarious laughter coming from one cabin. And I went over and I knew exactly who it was. And I leaned under the window and said, Andy, 
be quiet. We're trying <laughs> to get everybody down. You know, I hear my loving Jesus, Andy, making this racket. And he goes, man, man, watch this. And I'm not quite sure how to say this delicately on a Baptist podcast, but he does this loud and proud fart. And I said, Andy, I said, goodness, grow up. Come on. You're waking every other cabin up. And he goes, no, no, that's not the best bit. Watch this. And then he produces a cigarette lighter um, and he proceeds to kind of light the methane gas, which oh. emanated from whatever. And there's this blue flame that suddenly goes, and I said, Andy, you're going to need your manhood one of these days. And if you burn it now, it's not a good thing. And anyway, um, as Dawn and I walked away from that encounter and we got about 100 metres away and we just started laughing. And Dawn turns to me and she goes, that kid is going to be a great youth pastor one day. Wow. Yeah. And the, the aftermath of that story is Andy is now the youth pastor. Same church where Dawn was the youth pastor. Oh, wow. So yeah. he came up to Hudson Baptist, met Jesus there. I had a bit of influence on him through various things. And now he's the youth pastor at Hudson Baptist. And to finish the story, I'm his volunteer. You know, <laughs> so the story goes full cycle, but yeah, that's one of my favorite stories. So, are you going to play some similar tricks on him now that you're? Oh, we have over the years, yes. Depending <laughs> on <going>. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. so now would you like to yeah. tell us? <laughs> sure. What, can, what, what things concern me the most? Yeah. yeah, this is a hard question. Like, I find I'm balancing real optimism and faith with, with realism. You know, and having to say, let's be honest, what's really going on? Mm -hmm. um, so I'm always passionate and, uh, I guess, optimistic about the future, but a lot are fragile and they're struggling for a whole variety of reasons. And one of my main concerns is that there will be enough of us who are passionate and committed enough to rise up and be there for as many of them as we can. It's not an age thing. I'm seven, nearly 72, yeah. you know. So yeah. if you love kids, you can do it through a lifetime as a paid person or as a volunteer. But to challenge them, to mentor them, to lead them, to inspire them, to nurture them, to care for them, to walk alongside them. But I'm concerned about a lot of our churches without youth ministries. I'm concerned about gaps in leadership. Um, I'm concerned that it takes more time and effort than it used to. Um, so there's a lot of things I'm concerned about. But at the same time, I hold that intention mm. with a great God and people who are on the ground doing stuff. So, yeah, let's roll into the future yeah. Um, yeah. with hope and faith. Yeah. Yeah, cool. yeah absolutely. Yeah. We've, um, you know, become quite excited, especially about, you know, the shaping of BYM for the future. Yes. Um, we've, so, as you know, we've just appointed a youth catalyst. Um, I do. <laughs> yeah, so what are your hopes for BYM? Um, I think one of my key hopes is that it grows, finds new vision and strength. Like I've always had the picture that youth work is like a, bit like a building or a fuddy, you know, that it's got a roof and it's got walls and it's got a floor. And mm. the floor is the ground level. That's where youth work happens every week. You know, we need strong local youth ministries right through the country and to hopefully rebuild and restart and re-energize if there is nothing and to strengthen where there is something so that's the floor um and the walls really are 
um, it's, it's the regional leaders or regional leadership, you know, mm. paid or unpaid if we can't pay them. But that's where we do things together that a local youth ministry can't do. But we, it's not, it can't be a big national thing because that's quite difficult to manage, you know. So, um, so the walls, things like Easter camps, things, training, um, down here they do a bus tour every year, things that can work regionally. And the roof really, I guess, is the, it's the oversight, it's the big picture vision, um, it's the what's happening here, it's the asking the questions. And I think to have all of those things strong is really important. I mean, I'm delighted, I've known Ethan since he was about six foot six and 15, and locked <laughs> up to extend, and I'm thinking, man, where do you finish, you know, um, and seen him grow into this role. So yeah. I pray, I'll be praying for him, I wish him every strength as he, as he goes forward. But my hope and vision is that there will be passionate, committed, inspirational and servant-hearted leaders mm. who love God and love young people at a national, mm. a regional and a local level, awesome. just to spearhead things. And of course, I hope and pray that there'll be adequate funding and resources to support them. You know, and locally, my dream, I've always had this dream that every church will have a youth ministry that is vibrant, life-changing. So, yeah, I mean, we've, we've yeah. had our battles, we've had change, but um, God is good and he will take us forward. And so there's some of my thoughts for you, for what they're <laughs> worth. <laughs> um, they're, they're worth a lot, Mur. Yeah. Thank um, you. And um, it's been really good to talk with you. Yeah. Um, have, have you got anything else you would like to say? Um, oh well look I'd like to give extend a plug if there's any pastors listening to this in the <laughs> North Island sorry South I think Mike's running one down there we'd love to have them come your kids come along in July mm -hmm. um, particularly if you've only got one or two kids because we can manage it we can manage it if you could send them without a leader we can make it work mm -hmm. so that's my next big thing of course be praying for Easter um, yes. all through the country I'm going to Easter camp this year um I'm cheating and sleeping off site because I'm scared of tripping over 10 pigs and sconning myself like I did another year and breaking something. Oh, yeah. But yeah, be yeah. praying for Easter, be doing what you can. And thanks for the love and support you give us. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, you're, you're, I think that's enough of me. Yeah, well, you have been, you have been, you still are a real gift to the Baptist movement. So it's been great talking for you. Um, God bless you heaps, man. Thank you. Okay, blessings. Love you all. Yeah. Bye.